Welcome to Centerpoint Church, where we are all about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. We're so excited that you decided to join us today, and we believe that no matter where you're listening from, this message will enhance your connection with Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. I'm glad you're here, and uh, I want to just say uh, welcome to Centerpoint. If you're new with us, uh, just thanks for coming. And after the service is over, you can join us at the blue tables and say hello. So, um, hey, we're, we're, there we go. Okay, we'll do that too. Yeah, all right. So uh, if you are new with us, this is the second week of a series called At the Table. And in this uh, series, we're just taking a look at the moments in the Bible where Jesus is at the table with people and what happens in that interchange. And then more importantly, what's the implication for us in terms of how we're gonna live? And so I'm I'm grateful for the message I get to bring today. Uh, But here's what I was thinking. A a couple of months ago, a friend of mine, Charles Latchison, he's a pastor over in Long Beach. Uh, He's been a friend for a couple of decades, but to be honest, it's, it's been a level of friendship which was like, hey, every once in a while, kind of meet for a coffee or meet out at a restaurant for a lunch, something like that. But this time he uh, messaged me and said, hey, I'm gonna be uh, driving through Murrieta. Me and my wife are coming through on our way to San Diego, thought maybe we would uh, see if we could uh, connect with you guys. And I was like, well, if you're coming through, you should. We should definitely have lunch. But I said, hey, why don't you come to our house instead? And so Charles and Carolyn came to our house and all of a sudden we're sitting there at my table and I'm, I'm just thinking about it in the moment, like, man, this is different. We had a friendship before, but there's something beautiful that happens when that friendship moves from, you know, restaurant status to your own kitchen table status. You know what I mean? There's a beauty about that. There's a richness about that. And we're sitting there, the four of us together, and just, it feels like the Holy Spirit just explodes. Like, we're just a couple of pastor couples, like, talking about all this stuff. So life-giving, so amazing to be at the table together. I think probably a lot of us can relate to that, right? Where where you bring... bring, people into your close circle and they're at the table with you and you are built up and you feel life from that. Amen, you get some of that? You relate to me? But I also know that sometimes it's not so beautiful what happens at the table. And sometimes we experience some things at the table that are pretty troubling. And we get to a place too where there can even be heartbreak at the table And because of maybe some of the people that came to the table with us, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands and don't start elbowing anybody right now. But the truth is that uh, there are some difficulties that happen with the people at the table with us sometimes. Uh, Case in point for this would be Jesus. Like, for example, just to to name a few, uh, Thomas was part of Team Jesus, but Thomas had difficulty even really trusting and, and, and trusting Jesus, even though he's with him. There were also these guys, James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were constantly kind of muscling in, trying to get a, a, a better position, even had their mom come in. There's this moment recorded where Jesus starts speaking about the fact that he was going to be crucified and he was going to die. And then Salome, the mom, comes in and starts talking about, well, right, 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 I know about that, but, but what about my sons? I want to make sure they can get a better position. And I mean, those are the kind of people that were at the table with Jesus, And and there was some trouble with that. But the guy that tops the list of the people that brought trouble to Jesus' table, 
Judas, right? The man that needs no introduction. And a lot of us know the name Judas, and it's synonymous with betrayal, because that's exactly what Judas does. So we're going to take a moment right now to open the Bible to Matthew chapter 26. And as you're making your way to Matthew chapter 26, what has happened in this moment is that, is that Jesus has done this teaching about the sheep and the goats, and he talks about uh, the fact that at the end, the sheep and the goats will be separated. And, and, and the sheep are the ones that you know, get to go into God's goodness, and the goats get rid of them. <laughs> and, and there were some people that read between the lines, and it was the priests and the religious leaders. And they read between the lines on that one, and they were insulted. They took it personally, and they took it personally so bad that they said, we're going to kill him. We are going to kill him. And they somehow knew that Judas would be the guy that would probably be willing to help him out with that. It's kind of crazy. How did we even get there? We don't exactly know, but they knew who, just who to go to, and it would be Judas. And so we, we jump in to Matthew 26, verse 14, and it said this. It said, so Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Does this bother anybody? You know, it bothers me because I love Jesus. And I, and I see this and, and, and I, I'm bothered by what happens in this moment because Judas is hanging around with Team Jesus and he's part of the, he's part of the group, right? I mean... You gotta think this through. I mean, this is Judas who, at one point, maybe three years earlier, he's somebody that Jesus is looking at, locking eyes with, and saying, I want you to, I want you to come follow me. And he begins to follow Jesus, and, and he's part of the whole deal. I mean, this guy, Judas, he was there when Jesus is standing on that mountainside beginning to deliver that blessed are the poor in spirit, the Sermon on the Mount. Judas was there for it. Judas was there when Jesus lifts up the, the loaves and the fishes and breaks them and begins to, he, Jesus put the multiplied loaves and fishes in Judas's hands to say, go pass it out. He was part of the miracle. He was there in the boat when the storm was raging and Jesus got up and went, peace be still. And the storm stopped. He was there. He had a front row seat for that. He was there on the other side of the lake when the garrison guy that was full of demons that nobody could deal with, but Jesus dealt with it and cast out the demons right in front of everybody, and the guy was restored. He saw that firsthand. Judas was there when Jesus said to the 12, go out there, guys, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, and he did it. Like, he was a part of the whole kingdom of God experience. I mean, so, so I'm thinking somebody who's that close to Jesus how in the world do they get here? How, how in the world do they get to this moment where now he's looking to sell him out? He's looking to sell out Jesus. But that's exactly what we read that he was trying to do. And as I, as I think about Judas and, and the question of how does a guy get there to the point where he's like 30, 30 pieces of silver? By the way, that's probably maybe around $20,000, that economy versus today. I'll do it. How does he get there? You, you trace it back and you find earlier in the scripture some moments where Judas uh, begins to be critical of Jesus, 
criticizing some of his, his leadership and criticizing things about resources. And the scripture doesn't state it explicitly, but you get the idea that somehow when Judas began to criticize Jesus and operate with criticism, that it just may be that he began at that time to partner with a, a, a critical spirit like a, some kind of a demonic thing. We don't know this explicitly, but you can kind of read between the lines and see it. And he opens the door to this critical spirit. And what we do know for certain is that you get to this moment where he's looking to sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And in the Gospel of Luke, verse 22, chapter 22, verse 3, it says, at that moment, Satan entered into him. He's a follower of Jesus, one of the 12 disciples, and something happens. It can happen. I just got to notice that. It may be that it was the partnering with the critical spirit that opened the door to something darker that got in, in, into him. But we do know that whatever came about, this, this betrayal that came about, it is demonic. And at some level, whenever betrayal happens, there's something about that that is demonic. <laughs> You know, and, and I want us to acknowledge that as we get ready to, uh, to continue to read the scriptures and see what happens. So I'm going to keep reading. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 17. So it's the holidays, and uh, they're going to celebrate the holidays together, the Passover, Easter, that kind of thing we would think of. And Judas, at this point, Judas has already turned. He's hanging out with everybody, smiling and nodding. Oh, yeah, just going along with it. But we all know deep down, he's like, I'm looking for my chance. It's so dark. When betrayal happens, it's so, it's so devious. And, and, and then you just read in verse uh, 17 and following, it says, well, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, hmm, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come. And you'll eat the Passover meal with me and my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. I'll keep reading verse 20. It says, when it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, he said, I'll tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one Lord? And he replied, yeah, one of you who's just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rab Rabbi, am I, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you said it. <laughs> And this, this moment is worth just taking note of because what we see here is, is, is the kind of thing that makes life so painful. Betrayal is one of the things that makes life hurt so bad sometimes. 
And betrayal can take lots of different forms. This was the form that it took in this moment. And, and when betrayal happens, uh, it, it, there's a, a range of what it could look like. I mean, it can go from, from breaking the covenant to, to breaking a confidence, uh, telling the person's secrets, or uh, being two-faced and talking all nice to their face, but talking trash behind their back, it, it, all the way to, uh, to, to cheating, lying, stealing. And, and betrayal can happen from a, a person at the table with you. It can happen from uh, you know, a family member or, or, or a friend or a business partner. And I, there is no spiritual trick I can teach you to keep it from happening. But what I can do is show you a pathway toward how healing can happen when there's been betrayal. And here's what I want to say is that we are people of the resurrection. As Christians, we believe in resurrection power. And what resurrection power does is it takes things that are totally destroyed and even dead and brings, can bring life from those very things. And so I want to talk about, about what Jesus did when betrayal was happening. Because here's what I noticed. He did not turn a blind eye to it. He did not ignore it. He did not avoid it. He did not sweep it under the rug. He dealt with it head on. He just, I mean, he's right there at the table. He says, look, I'm going to talk about this right now. One of you is going to betray me. <laughs> That's so uncomfortable. You could see how, un- what, me? I don't know. No, you know, it was awkward, but he dealt with it head on. And I think a lot of us need to take our cue from Jesus in this regard, that we, we also need to learn how to deal with, uh, deal with a betrayal head on. And as we do, I want us to open our hearts to the possibility of healing. Because we believe in the resurrection, we believe that our God's word says that he makes all things beautiful in his time. And so what that means is that there is a possibility of a progression from brokenness to beauty, from betrayal into beauty. And I believe that it's possible. I believe it. Does anybody else here believe that it is possible to move from brokenness into beauty? Because it is by the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And so I want every single one of us right now, all of us, to keep our hearts open. Because here's what I know. When, when I started talking about betrayal, oh man, I know this is like a little bit of a trigger topic. <laughs> and some of us are, are feeling some things right now. That's okay. Holy Spirit is covering all of us and we can work through that together in the presence of God. But betrayal is an equal opportunity offender. Like when there's betrayal, there's opportunity for all of us. If you are on the side where you have been betrayed, when betrayal happens, then for you, you have an opportunity to grow in the character of Christ by, 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 by reaching into his long suffering, by, by reaching into and appropriating his, his mercy and his ability to extend patience and grace and forgiveness. And, and then if you are on the side where you have done done the betraying, there is an opportunity for you too to grow in being Christ-like. Christ-like in in coming to the place of of a contrite spirit about what happened and and the humility that it will require of you to walk forward in this progress. And so I know that in in our congregation right here, whether you're in this room or on the patio or online, there are both of us. Some of us are the ones that we did the betraying. We, we hurt inside because of it. It aches inside. Some of us, we're on this side. We've been betrayed. And I believe for both of us, this is a journey that God wants us to be able to be on with him into greater Christ-like character. And we believe, I'm going to say it again because I need you to hear it. We believe in the resurrection. 
And so we believe that there's always this draw from all eternity out of the realm of death and destruction and into the realm of divine breakthrough and new life. There is a progress from brokenness to beauty. Somebody say amen. Now, this is what I want to do. I want to spell out a little bit for you uh, what that, that process can look like. So Jesus took, took this moment head on And I'm going to spell out for you a process that you may be able to walk through as well in journeying towards beauty when there's been brokenness and betrayal. What I'm going to share with you, uh, some of it is is, uh, things from my own experience. Some is loosely summarizing some of what I've learned from a guy named uh, Henry Cloud in a book called Trust. But this process is one that I think is available for every single one of us. And it begins with, with five words, heal, forgive, reconcile, trust, and restore. These are the five words. This is the journey that we'll walk on together. The first thing you got to do when there's been betrayal is you need to heal from what hurt you. Just say it. Heal from what hurt you. You need to be able to take the things that have happened and the disappointment and the, the ache of it all and, and the anguish of it all and the anger of it all. And in one way or another, you need to get with God and release it to him. You must do this because if you harbor what hurt you, it will hurt you more. And it will take you from being broken to being bitter. And then you will catch a soul infection and it can spread and become necrotic and begin to bring death into many aspects of your life. You don't want that. And so you got to decide, I'm going to heal from what, I'm going to heal from what hurt me. And you need to find some people that can be helpers along the way. That might be a therapist, a counselor, a mentor, a disciple maker, a trusted prayer partner, maybe all of the above. And you begin to release the pain and the anguish of what happened to the Lord because he can take it. You can't keep it. It will do you in if you try to, but you release it. You heal from what hurt you. Now, if you're on the other side of the equation and you were the betrayer, You need to heal from what hurt you too, but it probably is further back in your life. Like, how did you get to the point where you did that? You you need to do some soul searching too. How did I get there? And to heal from what hurt you, you need to identify it. The second thing is you got to forge ahead toward forgiveness. Somebody say that out loud. Forge ahead toward forgiveness. And I'm phrasing this uh, precisely, right? Because it's not always a snap your fingers and, okay, I'm ready to forgive. Like we forge ahead. And sometimes we're forging and it's, it's hard, that journey, one step after, I don't want to. He was so wrong and what she did. Yes, I know. But generally, this is the direction we move in because we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus Christ and we know that he's forgiven us. And if he's forgiven us, we got to find the way to forge ahead toward forgiveness that we can extend toward others. We just have to. That's the path of redemption. That's the path of Jesus. That's the way forward into healing. So we forge ahead toward forgiveness. What that looks like is on one side of the equation, on, on if you've been betrayed, it looks like coming to a point where you can say, God, I've released all of my pain to you about this. And God, I forgive Tom for what he did. I apologize if your name is Tom. I just had to pick a name. <laughs> God, I for, you're, in your, you're in your own space as you're praying and processing with God and alone with God. You say, God, I forgive Tom for what he did. You might have to do that again and again. God, I forgive Tom for what he did. Now, if you're on the other side, you got to forge ahead toward forgiveness too. And for you, what that means is you got to come face to face with what you did 
and get rid of all the, the excuses that you had and, 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 the, and the explanations that you had for why you did You just need to get rid of all that. For you to forge ahead toward forgiveness, you got to get to the place where you can own what you did and where you can actually own it with that person. Because they're over here on their own and maybe they've forged ahead toward forgiveness and they've privately begun to say, God, I forgive Tom for what he did. But at some point, Tom, <laughs> Tom, you're going to have to get up in your courage and be able to say something to that person. Because step three is you're going to reach toward reconciliation. Everybody say reach toward reconciliation. I can't guarantee you that it's going to happen. In, you know, this person may or may not ever come to the place of health in their spirit and their soul where they could say, I get how bad what I did was and I'm going to own it. They may or may not get there. But if they can get there where they can say, I get how awful what I did was and I'm going to reach toward reconciliation by owning it with you. Then on this side, the way you're going to reach toward reconciliation is you're going to be able to look them in the face and say, Tom, I forgive you for what you did. Do you see the difference? In the forgiveness stage, you're saying, God, I forgive Tom for what he did. Man, I'm so sorry if your name is Tom. I'm really sorry. But, but the third part is you're looking at Tom directly. Tom, I, I forgive you for what you did. But, but Tom needs to do some work in this stage. Tom, Tom can't be showing up at this moment where we might have some reconciliation and start talking about, well, <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I want to apologize. I'm really sorry for how you feel. I'm sorry you feel that way. And my intentions, I did not ever intend, I did not intend to hurt you. Is, is that going to do anything? That's not going to do jack. That is not healthy. It, Tom, if Tom does that, Tom's basically saying, look, uh, your feelings are actually the problem here. Not me. I didn't do anything. My, my intentions, I mean, everybody knows. I'm not the kind, I don't do wrong things. I'm just so good. <laughs> It's not going to help. you got to reach toward reconciliation. And on this side, that means i got to reach through my selfishness, my self-preservation, my attempts to make myself look good. i got to throw that all aside and reach toward reconciliation where I go, I am so sorry. I did wrong, and I hurt you, and I apologize. Now, that is a reach toward reconciliation that somebody could look at and go, okay, Tom, I forgive you for what you did. Now, look, you, you see it on the screen already. This is only halfway through. Just because I forgive Tom doesn't mean that we're going to snap our fingers and ah, everything goes back to normal. No, there's more work that needs to be done. And in particular, it has to do with trust. You got to try out the trust. Everybody say, try out the trust. It's like when you were a kid and if you grew up in the East Coast, you know, in the wintertime, and there's lakes everywhere, and you would wonder if you could go walking and skating on the ice, but the first thing you would do is you'd kind of like, you'd kind of like just, whoo, step on it. I thought there was something there. Oh, that was frightening. Whoo, gosh, okay. <laughs> I literally thought I was stepping on the speaker. I missed it. Anyway, the, where was I? Try out the trust. That's right, try out the trust. See, sometimes it doesn't work. <laughs> sometimes the ice is too thin, you fall through. Can't be doing that. <laughs> Truly, you got to try out the trust. Sometimes it isn't going to be quite there. And what I mean is this: if the per, if there's if 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 Tom did the betraying, and let's just say for example, it, you know, Tom we started drinking again all of a sudden, binge drinking, and got, went off the wagon, and that was the thing, right, that broke the trust. Well, when Tom starts talking about, I'm sorry for how that hurt you. What, what needs to come next is. Tom needs to try out the trust, like demonstrating a trustworthy track record. 
He needs to say, I'm, do, I'm going to celebrate recovery or AA, and, and I've got a sponsor, and, and I'm working the steps, and, and, and that's been happening for weeks, uh, several weeks, maybe a couple months. Now, now you can try out the trust, and you're seeing choices that line up with, with what he said. Then you can begin to go, well, then I'm seeing those things, so I'm going to open my heart to trust you again. I'm not saying that's easy, but that is what we do if we are people of the resurrection and want to move toward restoration. And that's the fifth part, which is to restore the relationship. This doesn't always happen. Sometimes the person on this side that did the betraying doesn't get to a place of being healthy enough to be trustworthy with you. That can sometimes just be the reality. You can't force this, but this is the process. You get to a place where you restore the relationship. So I just spelled out for you something that, for most people, it is not instantaneous at all. For a lot of people, this kind of process can, can take weeks or months or, or even years, depending on what had happened. And there are two parts of this that need to all come together. I'm believing, though, that God can draw each one of us forward towards beauty out of the brokenness. And we have stories about this among us. And I want to actually highlight one. So uh, we're going to spend some time at the table with Kay Cadmus. Would you welcome Kay Cadmus to come join me? Thank you so much, Kay, for joining me at the table. And I think this might be one of the hardest uh, topics to just sit at the table and talk about. Yeah, yeah thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, so Kay is our assistant director of our prophetic ministry at Centerpoint Church, and she's teaching our uh, basic prophetic class right now. And uh, it has been a part of this church body for a long time. But uh, what I've been talking about today is not theory for you. No. So can it's you, reality. would you just share with us what you hear about betrayal, what is your personal story and experience with this? Um, yes. Uh, over the last two years, I have been going through a divorce. Uh, actually, it's been a year and a half ago. My divorce was final. I was married uh, to a man for 27 and a half years. Um, and then, to be honest, in the first part of our journey, um, our covenant, he broke our covenant, and we walked through the steps of you know, reconciliation. We, I would say, I don't know if you want to say do it right, but we did the work. Yeah. And we ended up landing in marriage ministry, mm. and we actually focused on that. We, I mean, it was, that was one of the tools that was constantly used in our life to maintain our marriage. Mm. Um, but two years ago, uh, I was actually having lunch with a dear friend of mine and who had known our history, and she had said, Kay, she said, I don't think something's right. Something's wrong. You need to figure out, you know, go home and figure out what's going on with your, with your husband. And so I did. I went home, and um, my ex-husband at that time was packing for what he was calling a business trip. Mm. And uh, I walked in, and I sat down, and I said, do I have anything to be worried about? And it was at that point he simply just said, I want a divorce. Wow. And, you know, to understand the years, I mean, he wasn't just at my table. <laughs> he was in my bed. Wow. He was at the birth of my children. Mm you know, to become one. So the betrayal is you're being ripped apart from mm. that oneness. Um, and to, to, to figure out what that journey looks like. And so um, 
in that night, I called a dear friend who had been through a very similar journey. And she gave me some very incredible wise counsel. And, um, and through that counsel, I made a confession to the Lord to say, I will not be bitter through this. Wow. And within moments, I turned my confession to a vow. Mm. And I vowed I would not be bitter, no matter what. You know, I've, wow. I've seen too many in the marriage ministries. You see a lot of what people walk through and the anger and the things that they can't let go of. Um, and so that started my journey. That's a powerful statement, you know, just to decide I will not be bitter. And then even to elevate it to between you and me, Lord, I will not be bitter. That's powerful. What came next? I mean, this is unimaginable, right? And the hardest thing, what did you do? What came next? Well, even when you were teaching, Pastor John, I was thinking about just even the heart of Jesus when he had to let go of Judas. Mm. You know, his heart and how much he loved, you know, and the reality of that's what I was going to have to do. And, um, you know, I had to struggle with some of those things of be the good Christian woman, fight, 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 you know, and I was on this incredible walk with the Lord and praying about the whole situation and asking, what more could I have done? You know, is there anything else? And his voice was, why are you fighting for someone who will not fight for you? And in that moment, I felt the release. And in that moment, I turned the tables and I decided that, okay, you know what? Then if this is the journey, I need to walk it. Yeah. And, um, in a weird way, I ended up being the one going in and asking and filing for the divorce. Wow. But I think that was a statement for me. When you, when you were on this journey, uh, I mean, I think most of us probably hear this and go, how, how did you make it through? Like, how did you make it through uh, on a spiritual level, emotional level? Like, how did you actually make it through this horrible moment? And still making it through, mm. right? Still walking this journey. Um, I w- and I, I, I would love to say that I've done this well. Um, but I've definitely had my moments of where I'm not proud of some of the things I've thought or wished for or things like that. Um, but through that, oh, but God, yeah. his grace, his mercy, his love. Oh, but Jesus, my savior. Oh, but Holy Spirit, my comforter, my wisdom. And by all means, a community of people mm. around me to support me, to love me, to speak into my life, to tell me the truth of who I am, yeah. you know, to give me God's heart yeah. all the time. And so I would definitely say that it's been a community of people. This journey is, I have not been on my own. It's been with an army. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Is there anything that you would say by way of uh, a word of prophetic encouragement for any of us? Because like I said, you know, there's a likelihood that any one of us are on this side or this side. You know, we've done be- the betraying or we've been betrayed in some level or scale. Any word of prophetic hope or encouragement to us? I would say to walk your journey as humbly as you can, mm. to lay yourselves down upon the foot of Jesus, you know, and let him be your guide. He will not ever leave you or forsake you because yeah. he has wow. not done that for me Come on. in so many ways. Yeah. Even as I'm still walking this journey, yeah. he shows up time and time again, yes. whether it's in the spiritual or in the natural through people who love me. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Wow.
Would you just thank Kay? It's so bold and courageous for you to just share this journey with us so that this that we're talking about isn't just theory, but we see in you our sister who's walking it out and how it's done. Thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for the, the good work that you're doing in Kay. And God, thank you that what she just said is true, that you'll never leave us or forsake us, and she's living in that reality right now. And Lord, thank you that she's walking it out. And we pray, God, you'd bless her every next step as she does. Thank you, Lord, for the healing and redemption that is possible through you and through your resurrection power. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One more time, would you thank Kay for joining me at the table? Thank you. The scripture says that the, the godly are bold as a, as a lion. That to me is a picture of what the godly being bold as a lion might look like. And, and, and I know right now for some of us, um, th- this, is, this is a little rough because things are a little tender, maybe a little too much so, and we're going, oh, help God. But I want you to see the big picture of what happens. Right, so Jesus has got Judas at his table. He tells everybody, I know that the betrayal is going to happen. And, and he's looking at, at them, and he sees Judas. And, and then what comes next is important, because when there is betrayal and brokenness that has come from the body, there is healing that comes through the body. This is what comes next. So we go back to the scriptures in Matthew 26, right where we were. We saw about Judas uh, doing the betraying. And then in verse 26, it says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat this. This is my body. He took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them. And he said, each of you, Drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. Say this next part out loud with me. Ready, go. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. He said, mark my words, I will not drink of it again until the day I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. And then they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. This little moment, the end of their dinner, their Passover dinner, the holiday dinner. This is the birth of what we call communion. And what we do is we have a nice, tidy little church service, pretty song, and nice little plastic cups, and you know, maybe old school, we had a, a loaf of bread and a chalice, and we make it this ritual, this ceremony, but can you, can you just look with me at what it came out of? What we call communion was birthed out of a moment of just awful brokenness, betrayal. And Jesus is in a sense saying when the worst happens to you, the best is available to you, but it's specifically through my broken body and my poured out blood. And he's coming to you and me today and beckoning us for every way that you have been harmed, for every way in which you are hurting still. Would you receive into yourself the wholeness that comes through my broken body, the healing and the mercy that comes through my poured out blood? This is what we need. It's what these guys needed. It's what we get to receive from him. It's called communion. Everyone say communion. In just a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. But let me fast forward to you know, usually when we do communion at Centerpoint, and we do this together, 
uh, on the first Sunday of the month. And oh, look, it's October 1st. So we're going to take communion. But you can take communion at home as often as you would like to. But we do it together. And we usually quote the scriptures from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And, And I'll just take you there now. It's familiar, but what we actually tend to do is we pick just two of the verses from 1 Corinthians 11 because it gets a little dicey and we're trying to keep the moment like, you know, kind of here, you know. But we we have to, from time to time, keep the larger context in view because this is what it says. It says uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 26, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So, everyone say so. So, anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Woo! That's in the category of what I would call a scary verse. And there's a lot of them, actually, in the Bible. (laughs) But I want you to make sure to understand it. When when we take communion together, we we want to honor the body. We we don't want to take this moment, as the scripture says, unworthily. So, So there's two words that need to guide us when we take communion. And it's these two words, examine and expect. Everyone say that, examine and expect. One more time, examine and expect. When I'm taking communion, I want to examine and expect. First thing I want to do is I want to examine myself. The Bible said I should. And here's what it looks like. I'm saying, God, is there any way that I've missed the mark, that I've sinned against you in my thought, in my word, in my deed, or what I did or what I left undone? God, have I sinned against you? I'm examining myself. It's an important step. And the, po- the point of this is not so that I can go feel bad and guilty. It's so that I can actually deal with the things that need to be dealt with by bringing them to the cross. It's kind of like this. I, I, one, of my, one of my sons recently said to me, uh, and there was a reason for it, but he said to me, Dad, I haven't brushed my teeth in a week. And I'm looking at him like, that's disgusting. and get gross, you know? And then I'm looking and I'm like, it's true, ew, you know? And what I want my son to actually do is every day, every so often, maybe a couple times a day, I want him to stand in front of the mirror and examine himself. Because if he would do that, he would go, oh yeah, I got some, uh, I got some bagel and cream cheese in there. That's kind of gross, you know? And then he could do something about it. Well, the same thing happens in our spirit spiritual life and through things that we've done or left undone or we, 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 we have we have to examine ourselves and say God is there something is there anything any way in which I've sinned that takes humility and, and I know nobody wants to talk about sin anymore but it's a real thing and it needs to be dealt with and it is dealt with at the cross but our step is to examine ourselves and say God is there anything about how I'm living and what I'm doing that isn't lining up with what you've said because that needs the power of the cross and so I examine myself. And then when I find those things, I go, well, then, Lord, I, I confess this sin to you. Forgive me, God. Forgive me, God. That is awesome. When you do that, the flow can come of God's mercy, goodness, and power. And so I examine myself. And then I expect. I expect that if this really is the body of Christ broken to make me whole, if this really is the blood of Christ 
then, then it's gonna do something. And by the way, when Jesus had this moment with the disciples, he lifted up the cup and he said, this is my blood. He said, this is my body. I'm sure it weirded them out a little bit. Like, so we're cannibals now? Like, what is, what is this? But Jesus is not saying, that here's a poetic thing. Here's a, here's a symbolic thing. No, Jesus said, no, this is an actual thing. And that means it's going to bring actual results in your life. And so I expect it to. When I take communion, I come with an attitude of expectation that I'm participating in the means that God has provided for me to experience a movement towards the reversing of the curse. That's what communion begins to open for me. And so I take communion with an expectation. And my expectation is that because it really is the body of Christ broken for me and the blood of Christ poured out for me, that there is something I'm gonna receive. I'm expecting that I'm gonna receive whole in every way needed in my mind, body, and soul. That I'm going to experience wellness in my mind to increasing degree because of this communion. Healing for my body, forgiveness from my sins, grace from my failures, peace from God and peace with God, reconciliation into my relationships, joy from God that strengthens me, comfort in the Holy Spirit that allows me to keep on going, hope for my future, power for living in victory. It all comes through his broken body and poured out blood. This is never just a ritual or a ceremony. I never let it be. If I could take you back to 1 Corinthians 11 where it said, Don't, whoever drinks the body or blood in an unworthy manner, unworthily, what it's about unworthily would mean I'm just going through the motions. I mean, I just take this, it's like the Lord's tasting party, a little weird, little grape juice, and I just do it because my family does it. That you shouldn't do. (laughs) Examine and expect. The scripture said we honor the body. Another translation says I I discern the body of Christ, meaning I, I get it. I get what is possible because of his body broken. I get to be forgiven of all my sin. I get to have the hope of heaven. I get to have the expectation that I could experience his wholeness and healing here and now. I'm, I'm gonna honor the body in that moment. <laughs> and for somebody here today, when you, when you examine yourself, and you should, you might need to examine yourself by just saying, do I even believe this stuff? Do I, do I even believe in Jesus Christ as my savior and Lord? Do, do I even have the humility to admit I'm a sinner who needs forgiveness? Or, or am I just marching around like, oh, I'm pretty much good to go. I got everything together. You know? But examine yourself. And for somebody, if you would examine yourself, you, your step might just be to finally say, Jesus Christ, I want to ask you to forgive my sin and save me. For somebody, this is the moment where you should do that. And then we're going to take communion. And, and we're going to examine and expect Acts 10.43 shows us something that somebody here needs to hear today. It simply says this. It says about Jesus, he is the one that all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. What a promise. What a, what a promise. And for somebody, man, I'm just hoping that you would receive what is promised and available through Christ So let's just take a moment. We'll just pray together and spend some time in God's presence, and then we're going to have communion together. So pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the the beauty of who you are, Jesus, that you could look betrayal in the face and say, let's go. Let's deal with it. And thank you, Jesus, that you showed us that the way ultimately for betrayal 
to be dealt with is through the cross and the wholeness that can come from you, from your broken body, your poured out blood. Right now, God, I pray that for somebody, uh, as we're examining ourselves a little, that for somebody, this would be the moment to ask, do I even really believe in Jesus? And if you've never made a profession of faith to once and for all say, Jesus Christ, I believe in you, then maybe that's what you need to do right now while we're sitting here together. To know that you're right with God comes through you receiving the righteousness of Jesus Christ by asking him to forgive your sins and save you. If you've never done that, maybe now's the time. So Father, I pray that you'd do that awakening that only you can do, that for somebody this would be the moment to finally say, Jesus, I need you. While we're praying together, if you're sitting here and you're saying, I need to be right with God, I wanna ask Jesus to forgive me and save me. Right now, join me in just raising your hand high as a moment in time, you finally saying, I want to ask Jesus to forgive my sins and save my life. Just raise your hand with me really high, thank you. I see you here in the back, that's awesome. Keep it up for a moment. Because our team's going to bring you a Bible. We just want to connect with you. Way out in the chapel in the back. Thank you. That's excellent. If there's anyone else, I just want to make sure you keep your hand up real high. Our team's heading your way to bring you a Bible and to pray with you. But as, as your hand is raised, you take this moment right now, right where you're sitting, and you pray with me. And you say something like this, Jesus Christ, I believe in you. You can say it with me. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. And just say it to him, Jesus, I repent of my sins. Jesus, I repent of my sins. Jesus, I turn to you. I give my life to you. Jesus, I believe that you paid the price for my sin when you died on the cross. And I believe that you're alive. You conquered death. So Jesus, I confess you to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm yours. My life is yours, Jesus. Just say it to him. My life is yours, Jesus. And just confess, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior from this moment on. Thank you for new life. I receive it right now. Every voice together, just say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness. All together, would you just say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiveness. We love you, Lord. We honor you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 